Does anybody need a small break? I do. I, I want to run and refill my water. Um, and I also wanted to say that while I was watching this episode, I think it was this episode, I sent a, t a text to Phil and I was like, you know, I said, is it bad that I blame Lawrence Fishburne for not making it work with Gina Torres? And he was like, <laughs> spoiler, spoilers, you're ruining the show. And I was like, no, 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 real life, real life, real life. You know? <laughs> you're spoiling real life for me. Hello and welcome to Murder Husbands, an in-depth episode-by-episode discussion of Brian Fuller's Hannibal based on characters from the novels by Thomas Harris. We are Popsicle, a group of like-minded creators who enjoy getting together to have big conversations for big stories. I am Claire Thorne. I'm a Chris Hemsworth enthusiast, space nerd, and geeky crafter. And as always, I'm joined by my deep-thinking Popsicle co-host crew. First, the endlessly talented artist of the Hex 11 comic series, as well as every piece of fan art I've drooled over in the past six months, Lisa K. Weber. Hello. Hello. Lisa. Happy to oblige. Yay. Uh, and where there is a Lisa K. Weber, there is a Kelly Sue Milano, pun smith extraordinaire, writer of the Hex 11 comic series, and astrological guru of the heart. Hello, Kelly Sue. Great. Okay. <laughs> uh, Justin Penniston, the never elusive writer of the Hunter Black web comic and upcoming Netflix animated series Sonic Prime. Justin. I am I am built for comfort, not for speed. <laughs> <laughs> That's delightful. And finally, we have writer, actor, comedian, TikTok danseuse, and our fearless producer, Philip Kelly. Hello, Philip. <sighs> Every time I sit down, I'm scared to death that I'm gonna fuck up. So, every time I sit down to edit. Oh my goodness. If I make a mistake listening audience, forgive me. <laughs> Before we dive into this episode's discussion, Justin and Lisa are going to take us through a quick recap of episode four, season one of Hannibal titled Oof. Which I hope I <laughs> Hannibal Oof, indeed. Yeah, oof, I'm sorry. Oof. <laughs> yeah, oof is a French word that means egg and Hannibal yeah. would be so offended by my pronunciation of that. So we're just gonna move right into the synopsis. Take it away. Two families are found murdered. All members shot and both, and both mothers killed last. The only link between the families is that they both have sons who have been on the missing persons list for approximately a year. Great job, FBI. <laughs> After assessing the gruesome crime scenes with his powers, Will concludes these lost boys are killing their old families to bond more closely to a new one. Meanwhile, Will continues to bond with Hannibal in his sessions and confides his feelings of powerlessness with regards to the boys. He can find them, but can never give them back their families. Relatedly, he admits to having paternal feelings toward Abigail, which make him uncomfortable, as they should. Hannibal doubles down on his own interest in Abigail, leading him to check her out of the hospital against Dr. Bloom's wishes and take her into his care. Just like any good father figure, he soothes her fitful dreams with a nice tea and Silas cocktail. Alana helps Will with the final puzzle piece in the case, that the boys are under the influence of a powerful but unnamed mother figure. What up, Molly Shannon? 
they use, I want you to know, no tone of voice was written in this document. That was all me. Um, <laughs> they use footage from a convenience store security camera to track them to North Carolina, like literally just in time to stop the next boy from slaying his own goddamn family. <laughs> that is an amazing synopsis. All of those things are, <laughs> yes, so true. Um, well, I would like to dive right into the characters because I think, Boy, this this episode is difficult. I think most uh, illustrated by the fact that Kelly Sue, you know, really has expressed a difficult time with this episode, um, and we can't talk about this episode with talking without talking about the children who are central to this story, to the crime, um, to everything going on. They are victims and perpetrators of the crime. Um, and again, you know, orchestrated, I've never seen Molly Shannon. So straight, I mean, just like Molly Shannon, I, what they reasoning they had for casting her, which is, is great and is wonderful, but boy, I'd love to be in the brains of the, the casting, um, you know, person on that decision, um, broaching such violent topics with children, um, with them so centrally placed in this story is extremely daring of the show. Do you think, what importance do you think this show has and how do these characters, you know, what effect does that have on you? And before we leave the topic of characters, of course, I don't want us to forget to come back to the introduction, the almost, you know, afterthought introduction of Gina Torres as Jack Crawford's. You mean Zoe? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, Justin, I'm going to turn to you first. Oh, thanks for that. Mm -hmm. um, first of all, I think it's important to point out that this episode was yanked from the from the order and did not air on NBC initially. Um, it was made available for purchase and through streaming and all that, but it did not air on network television. Um, it was relatively close after some tragic event i forget what it was, it was a school shooting was i think like, yeah it was, a was, school, it was peak peak school shooting it was which one it was just peak school shooting in yeah the US. i mean it was like yeah. i can't even remember specifically which one it was that's you know the that's how sad our current the, yeah, you yeah, know because there have been so fucking today. many um yeah. and i know that brian fuller made the decision to to yank it not nbc um and I so I came to this after having watched the season, you know, I came to it later. Um and it does the season works without it. It's not super you know, a vital an episode in terms of the the larger meta plot. Um I think that the the fact that he uses children in this episode sort of underscores the fact that actual violence on screen is few and far between in this show. It's usually almost always the aftermath, the, you know, the horror, and that's, you know, made uh, explicit in this episode, I think, because we don't ever have to watch a child kill or be killed, um, which I think is, you know, exactly the right choice. Um, and I, like, it doesn't feel to me like this is 
going too far per se. It's rough, but it doesn't feel going too far. But it does feel to me like in terms of characterizing some of these people, one of the more difficult episodes to pull off. Um, I don't know how to get into the, you know, we, we sort of get a cursory look at, at Molly Shannon and who she is and why she's doing what she's doing. But I, I found the, the kids almost impenetrable, you know, and not just, you know, the young kids who are being forced to do the killing, but even the, the older boy who is sort of portrayed as this boogeyman, you know, for a sec there, like, you know, that scene in the convenience store where his, the intensity of his gaze, of his threatening gaze makes the little boy wet himself, um, feels like something that, it feels like a setup that was never resolved. Like we never really return to the threat of the boy again. And, you know, it then, you know, it, it kind of reverts back to, to Molly Shannon. I feel like there's a lot of this episode that was left on the cutting room floor that, that didn't get make, make it in. This is, you know, in, in those terms, in terms of character and who they are, this was one of the more difficult episodes for me to embrace and just lose myself in. Um, Lisa, do you find yourself having an understanding of these kids and... Um, I mean, I don't know if I have an understanding with them. I know that like the, the episode was kind of set up in this way where it's like these kids, they're like, it's not like they came from abusive families or anything like that. It was like, they were like, they were presented as being middle children who were like, you know, somehow just ignored, but not in a not in a harmful way, like not in a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Neglectful way. Um, just like, you know, they had like middle child syndrome and I mean, just that in itself, I don't know if I relate to, I'm a, I'm a young, I'm the youngest sibling <laughs> and um, my older brother, the middle sibling is like much beloved in our family. So I'm like, as far as that whole thing where it's like, these kids aren't even coming from like really dire backgrounds. I was like, you know, it's not like I could necessarily like understand them, especially since it was like, they had some kind of Stockholm syndrome thing going on with Molly Shannon's character. Um, and like Justin was saying, like we spend so little time with her. Um, we get essentially one scene where she talks about like the power of chosen family. Um, but it's not like I could necessarily go all the way there with her. Like, oh, the only way that you can like really commit to your chosen family is by murdering your old one. I mean, no. <laughs> 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 just no um and yeah I mean like I and I and you know I'm kind of with Kelly Sue a little bit too as far as like it was I I kind of had to keep myself a certain amount like I had to keep a certain amount of separation between myself and this episode because seeing murdered children is inherently so upsetting 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like, I kind of, ke- I kind of keep this episode at arm's distance anyway. Yeah. Um, I mean, really the best parts of it are probably, you know, the Hannibal and Abigail parts of the episode are probably the better like that's the that's like the real work that the episode is doing as far as the larger arc and everything um and and, you know that that is also addressing this kind of idea of chosen family since that's you know Mm -hmm. she has this vision in the end when they're sitting at the dinner table that Hannibal and um Alana are her parents Mm -hmm. and um so yeah and we also get more badassery from Beverly Katz (laughs) absolutely there's that as well and so those are the things that I can connect to on the episode but I can't really connect to like the kid right yeah absolutely Kelly Sue did you were you able to watch any of this episode did you skip over parts and watch you know things that were not related to the kids yeah I totally skipped through a majority of this episode actually when I first watched it and I actually didn't watch it again in preparation and I likely won't ever watch it again to be honest um I think that one of the only reasons that they could they did pull this off dramatically is because they cast Molly Shannon because we know her and we have fond memories of her and I think you really needed to have that in order for this to not just go completely off the rails into a dark place that made people be like absolutely not you know Mm -hmm. if there was a no if there was I mean any other actress who we don't I mean Molly Shannon is one of those actresses where it's like we're generally always real happy to see her Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know and um I think that that was genius casting for this particular role because it's like, oh, we can see her through the eyes of these children. Like, I want Molly Shannon to be my mom, you know, or whatever. <laughs> um, or those feelings, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but yeah. Um, mm-hmm. it is, just as a storyteller, um, you have to have a airtight reason to tell a story that involves fucking with kids. Mm-hmm. And... I didn't see how this was something that was necessary, especially given that it's a one-off. We don't come back to this. They don't reference it again. Um, So I had a problem with that. And I'm actually, you know, when I think about the next episode, I'm like, oh yeah, that actually would be a really natural jump from episode three to episode five, you know? that said, I do love all of the stuff with Abigail. I love the introduction of Gina Torres, who I will forever call Zoe. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard to watch Gina Torres. Not really hard, but it's interesting mm-hmm. to watch Gina Torres in this kind of a story because I lay so much of Zoe's personality mm-hmm. onto her just automatically and I have to remind myself, yeah. it's not the same character. It's not Let's her. Not yeah, um, absolutely. But yeah, the, the, the larger framework that they're laying for the, like Lisa had said, the larger arc is really great. And the theme of chosen family is really strong in the show. Um, I just don't think you needed yeah. to do like a Christmas morning murder scene to sort of pull that off. <laughs> Philip, did you find strong connections with this story to the rest of, of what, what this story is telling us about Hannibal and Will and Abigail and the rest? There were some interesting topics brought up throughout that I, I agree could have been done without like 
murdering children. I, I don't that that sort of central part of it didn't really connect with me uh, too much. I even the kids didn't seem all that convinced by Molly Shannon. At least one of them did. You know, one of them freaked out after shooting the mom, and then the other one didn't really seem like they wanted to shoot the mom. Um, but then you saw kind of the uh, end of the like of how the other one turned out. I thought that was the threat when he was staring at the kid in the convenience store. Like, this is how I could turn out like this person who kills his mom and then is nobody. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I agree with Kelly Sue. Like Sally Field would have been another great choice. Just oh. like America's mom, you know, as, as that role. Uh, it's brilliant casting. And uh, yeah, yeah, well, I, I'll get into a little more as we go along, kind of some of the other stuff for <laughs> sure. Yeah, and I'm just to wrap up, um on my take on this story, it, I, what I found interesting about the question of these, these kids was the ultimate, you know, uh, look at how they were both victims and perpetrators and the conversation between the kid that, that mm. they save and they end up arrest, you know, is arrested um, with Crawford, with Jack Crawford um, in the car, I thought was a really interesting look at, just how both of those things exist at the same time and you can't, you can't separate them um, at all. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, it is interesting in terms of the larger story because that is obviously the headspace we're sitting in with Abigail. Is she, or is she not, is she a victim? Is she not a victim? Is she, what, what is going on there? Um, but yes, uh, murdery Christmas scenes were probably not, not the extent we needed to go to. Um, to actually achieve that result. <laughs> so anyway, um, I'm going to move us on um, because we're into season one a little bit now. We've got some episodes under our belt. Um, we have consumed um, enough episodes, I think, <laughs> pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> um, nice so I'm, I am eager to have a culinary discussion. And I, you know, I think we'll probably come back to this kind of discussion now and again throughout this series because it's it's very specifically presented to us the title of each episode in this season refers very specifically to French cooking um, and the elements of that elegant meal presentation that that this tradition is known for um, so far we've had aperitif episode one, which is uh, drinks that you serve before a meal. Um, probably my favorite part of the meal. Uh, oh. Episode two is amuse-bouche, which we learned in Friends is the little, you know, tasting um, hors d'oeuvre. Uh, episode three is potage, a, which is a kind of a thick soup. And then with this episode, oof, I always feel like I'm pronouncing that wrong. Actually, it's, that was really good. That was, that was really good. Oh, thank good. you. Good. That, that I'm you, so you're, you're very close. It's oof. Yeah. 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 You, you basically that nailed really it when you needed to. It just, it feels wrong anyway, um, which means egg. Um, and we've seen Hannibal prepare and serve a delicious egg and sausage scramble, which I makes me hungry in spite of everything I know about it. Um, a pork loin with Cumberland sauce, a rabbit, I'm doing air quotes around rabbit, um, Baudin Noir, <laughs> which is a, a dish featuring blood sausage. And I'm, I just want to hear everybody's reactions so, you know, to the cuisine, to how food and cooking is presented in the show, thematically, visually, do you, do you think it, it's telling us something, either symbolically or otherwise, about what is coming, what, what's going on? Um, Philip, I'm going to bump it back to you right sure. off the bat. 
uh, I don't know much about foods. Um, I do think that the use of the item, uh, the use of egg in an episode about killing children is really interesting. There's a nice, there's an interesting parallel there. Uh, you know, stealing a chicken's babies and cracking them open um, to create a meal. Uh, so I, I think that's really interesting. I, I like how food is being used to uh, bring the characters together. It, it seems like that's Hannibal's way to ingratiate himself into somebody's life to some degree. Um, you know, that's how we first got Will to kind of talk to him a little more openly. He served them some human breakfast and uh, and I see him doing it kind of over and over again at the dinner table with Jack. So I, you know, I, I do like the way food is definitely being used um, and, you know, the cooking uh, of the, the meal that uh, she last ate with, mm -hmm. was going to eat with her family, I think is really uh, tragic, <laughs> fucking like dark and, and amazing. Um, but uh, yeah, as far as like uh, what these different foods themselves could mean, you know, um, I'm sure, you know, thick soup could probably be related to the episode somehow. I think it's interesting <laughs> in this series that we actually see so much of the food preparation because thinking back into the movies, we hear Hannibal talk a lot about food and there's some, you know, specific set pieces where he's serving at a dinner table, but, but the, I feel like this show is a bit more of a, you know, foodie movie in, in the turn, in terms of just watching the preparation I could watch well, Mads I mean, Mickelson we... wield a knife all day long, as long as it's, you know, food <laughs> involved. But we talk about how like a lot of the violence on the show is seen after the fact, like we see the, like we see the crime scene, but we don't see the actual crime. Um, and I feel like the way in which Hannibal creates food and the scenes that we see him do is kind of like our way of witnessing the violence um, because he is very violent. And when he's like, especially when he's dealing with like the raw meat, um, he's slapping it around and chopping it all up. And, you know, then, and then in the end, it's like kind of like what we do with the exquisite corpse segment. It's like, it's elevating this very violent act to art and, um, and so it's just kind of, it's kind of in keeping with this through line of the aesthetics of the show and um, the aesthetics of food, such as they're presented like, you know, in the classic French way. Um, and um, I love what Philip was saying about like creating community around food um, because that's what so many people do. And um, I really love that point because it's like when you really think about like what Hannibal is doing when he is serving people people <laughs> um, is he's he's creating a connection um, because even serial killers get lonely sometimes. Oh, <laughs> and <laughs> I feel like I feel like a Kermit the Frog song coming on. <laughs> um but yeah I mean I um but yeah I mean that's kind of like that's kind of how I like take the food scenes as this kind of like this is this is the elevation mm -hmm. like this is the elevation of the violence that we do uh -huh. absolutely Justin 
Are you hungry right now? Um, <laughs> it's it's rare that I'm not. Um, <laughs> um, what you call it? Um, I uh, it's interesting. I do. I have always, and I don't know if this is just this is me projecting, because I have always uh, laid these episode titles to story structure as opposed to um, necessarily a reflection of what's going on in the episode. Um, certainly, I don't think aperitif. Aperitif? Yeah, aperitif. I don't think that um, really um, relates to what's going on in the episode in a, you know, in a, uh, you know, this is, the drinks before the meal quality, you know, that's not what you feel in that pilot episode, but it is very much a setup for the season, you know? Um, so I, I mean, I, I've always, and again, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying that's what I see, you know? Um, Quick question. I, uh, Do the titles of the episode go in the order of a tasting menu? I have That's never, I'm not by any stretch of the imagination an do. expert in French cuisine. It, it does seem like but they the, follow these are the, all early courses. Yeah. 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 Okay. It does feel like it kind of follows a, a, a course outline. Um, yeah. I mean, Sorry. drinks before a meal, hors d'oeuvres, which are, you know, even before you sit down, uh, soup, which is an appetizer. Ugh, though. I, mean, I don't know I if that's the argument an egg dish could be. I mean, or, like quiche. Or, I don't, yeah, I don't, yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, it does feel like an episode of Downton Abbey. I mean, when they're sitting down to dinner. You know, um, yes. With Hannibal's cooking scenes, um, I had not even considered what, what Lisa was saying about, you know, how it, in a way it's sort of a stand-in for the violence, which is, you know, absolutely spot on and, and brilliant. For me, that was always, and again, this is just, you know, I think me bringing my, my own perspectives, this was, you know, personifying and characterizing Hannibal in a way that, you know, simply interacting with people can't. Because we know what he's doing, do you know what I'm saying? And we know that he's cooking often, not always, but often he's cooking people. And he's elevating these people that he's cooking. You know what I mean? He is making, because he's, you know, he kills rude people. He kills, you know, people who are boorish and unsophisticated and, you know, less than animals to him. And he's making them into something lovely and worthy of sharing with people you care about. Um, and I, so I've always seen that as a level of characterization for the audience that the characters he interacts with don't get to see. It's sort of that Hitchcockian, we know the bomb is under the chair, you know, sort of thing. Um, so that's always how it's worked. Less thematic, more character for me. Right, absolutely. Kelly Sue, are you like ready to eat something that Hannibal's presented? Do you have a favorite dish that so far that you would like to see? I was on mute all the time. Um, <laughs> I loved all of the dishes and I, in another life, I was married to a chef. Um, and so the, the preparation experiences of this show, um, for better or worse, felt very like, oh, it's nice to see that again, you know, 
Um, and the the episodes do go in order of a tasting menu. I mean, I think so there are some confirmed. there are some things that are supplemented. Like I don't think that if is one of them. Um, but to wrap it up, I just to really sandbag what everyone else has said. And the other thing that that the dinner scenes have shown to me or stood out to me in such a way was that they're not any different than the murder scenes. The final presentation of the meal is exactly the same as the final presentation of a Hannibal murder scene. It's just mm -hmm. as well thought out. It's just as artistic. Um, and it also makes me really think like, oh, you know, it's okay when these are, when they, when these dishes are made of animals. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not okay when we see a murder scene made of humans, right? Yep. So. Yep. Absolutely. Makes you think, makes mm -hmm. you on that note we're going to step away for a break um everybody can go think about animals and humans and recipes um for a few moments while we consider going vegan during yeah. the break <laughs> we cut away to some messages <laughs> uh, we'll be back right after this Continuing underway we have a new podcast Hello, everyone. Uh, with our Hannibal podcast, wait, Murder Husband. Stop. Wait. Why are you introducing this? You haven't even read the comic. And why the last man is one of my favorite things. You should do it, Claire. Well, if Claire does that, can I do the We Are Popsicle bit? Yes. Do it, Lisa. Hello. We are Popsicle. And we love talking about stories that we love. And I love Why the Last Man. So does Justin. I do! That's why when I saw the release date for the series, I said, yo, we should do this. And we all agreed. Why did we all agree? Because I'm always right. I think because it's actually a really important story that needs to be told right now. Yes. Well, it's the apocalypse, and it's the right time for that, right? Indeed. <laughs> but also, we've never really tackled anything we never tackled anything in real time before either, which I think would be fun. And once again, Philip hasn't read the thing. So, you know, we're fixing all the problems in the world. He's the last man. Is he the last <laughs> man? Am I? Am I? Is, yeah. is the comic book about me? So yeah. why do you want to do it, Phil? Oh, because uh, I'm a sheep. Um, <laughs> I'm too afraid to say no uh, to the four of you. Uh, no, honestly, I, I've been told that I should read this comic book for so long and uh you guys have not steered me wrong so far so i'm i'm ready and willing to follow all four of you over a cliff you asked me to oh interesting so less a sheep more a lemming but we can live with that yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> the cool thing though is about this is that uh, this is going to be a bigger podcast effort in which we talk about shows, as was mentioned, as they are being released. Yeah, um, it's going to be called That Episode Was, you know, like how we start every conversation anyway. <laughs> and our first mission will be to talk about the first season of Why the Last Man, as only Popsicle can. Like the professionals we are, at least the ones who actually read the source material. <laughs> Why the Last Man premieres September 13th, so expect the first episode of That Episode Was to be released on Thursday the 16th or Friday the 17th, um, and for us to continue talking about how Phil has never read the source material. <laughs>
Welcome back. Um, in the opening scene of this episode, Will tells Hannibal, sometimes at night I leave the lights on in my little house and walk across the flat fields. And when I look back from a distance, the house is like a boat on the sea. It's really the only time I feel safe. Later, he tells Hannibal during a you know, therapy session, there's something so foreign about family. It's like an ill-fitting suit. I've never connected to the concept. The scene, and I think it's subsequent analysis, seems to very early on draw a very bleak conclusion or, you know, about Will's prospects for connecting with people in any kind of normal way. Um, I'm interested to see or to hear if you think, you know, from what we understand of Will so far, do you, do you think he can connect with people and uh, form healthy relationships? Um, do you think he is at the moment at all? Um, Kelly Sue, I'm going to start with you. Awesome. Um, I really get this. I really get this aspect of Will. When he's like, family has always felt like an ill-fitting suit or the way that Will talks and uses his words, right? Um, I think it's a concept that all of us have that rarely matches up with our actual experience of family. Um, you know, everybody that I talk to has this like, oh, an idea of what family is supposed to be like, but it's rarely what we experience in our actual families. Um, and I really get that. I also get this sort of how like stable family is such a huge part of like feeling normal out in the world. And when you don't have that, it's difficult to feel like you fit in with others especially others that do. Family is so ingrained into our identity as people, you know, especially when we're starting to go out into like, I mean, when do we start joining with like others, you know, school, high school, I guess, I don't know. Um, so to feel this with Will and to have him just be like, you know, it's something that I've, I just don't really get. It is so character specific because he's such a friggin' sad sack loner. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he creates family with the only things that he can really connect with, which are all his friggin' dogs. I mean, I get that, you know, I get being able to connect with an animal over, you know, human beings sometimes. So I don't know if that answers the question, but no, I, I thought like it was, that. I thought it was interesting that when he's, you know, in that initial opening scene mm -hmm. and it shows him looking back at his house, it's such a Thomas Kincaid tableau. Totally. And then we move into the rest of this episode and all of the other scenes, the murder scenes are all like Norman Rockwell, you know, yeah. uh, paintings. And, you know, obviously, and then we talk about in the episode, the, the choosing your own family. And I'm, I, I wonder if Will is even able to do that because, and, and I'm, I'm going to turn to Philip next and, and maybe just ask, do you think because you're, you know, new to what's going on in the series, do you see that Will is or is not connecting with people? I mean, he's working with Crawford and, and all of the other um, investigators and, you know, are there connections being made? I, I think he wants to connect. I, I certainly think he wants to connect 
to Abigail, um, but he keeps withdrawing from it. Um, and I think, you know, there's obviously some sort of game being played between um, Hannibal and uh, uh, Will and Will trying to connect to Abigail, like, you know, Will connecting to Abigail probably wouldn't be very good for uh, Hannibal and his ultimate plan, I imagine. But um, I, I do, I, I think he is in some way connecting to Hannibal. I think he is uh, starting to kind of open up um, in some ways to people, I, I, absolutely. Uh, his, there, there are two things talked about in this episode that really hit me when talking about the kind of the family and that's the capture bonding element you know, people being sort of forced to be a family. And you can imagine what maybe Molly Shannon went through as a kid to make her feel like, no, we have to create our own families. Like she was probably abused like crazy uh, by her family. And that's that's the leap that my brain makes. But there's also uh, Jack Crawford says that family is has a contagious effect on people. And the view, uh, just the overall kind of view and look at family in this episode seems to be one of the negative effects that family in a large way can have on you. And, and I, I find that interesting. That's an interesting angle for this episode to take uh, because it does mirror, uh, you know, a few things like cannibal bonding with Abigail and, and things like that. And it's, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's all very interesting to me. Mm -hmm. Justin? I, you know, I think one of the big issues with this episode is that because Will opens the episode with this in this space, you know, I don't really connect to the concept of family, you know, uh, you know, like an ill fitting suit, which I, I also love that phrasing. Um, but then he's so not allowed to connect to anybody in this episode, like you know, the stuff with Abigail, which really parallels the main story, is solely with Hannibal and, you know, and just a touch with Alana and not with Will. And while it makes sense on a character level, because Will doesn't connect easily, you know, I feel like thematically this episode would have been more of a success. It would have felt more, more cohesive if Will had been a bigger part of that B story. Um, that said... Um, there is something so foreign about family. Um, I, I get along great with the members of my family as individuals. Once we become a family, once there is a group of us together, the shit invariably hits the fan. <laughs> I've always said if you get more than three penitents together in a room, there will be a fight, you know, yeah. and I'm all and I, I, I've never been disappointed in that prediction. <laughs> um, and uh, I. So I. The concept of family. I'm kind of like, mm, that's for y'all, you know, <laughs> I'm going to have I have a brother and I have a mom and I have a, you know, I. And I had a father and a sister, you know, and, you know, I could connect with each of them, but having a family, a group of us together, that shit did not and does not work. Um, so there's a part of me that really relates to Will in that sense. But then again, I don't have a problem connecting with people. 
um, we, uh, uh, Phil and I sort of shared this quality in that we did a lot of moving all through our lives. You know, um, I never attended the same school longer than two years. Mm -hmm. um, and so I had to learn to connect to people if I didn't want to be lonely. You know, I had to learn to connect and connect fast. And so, you know, choosing a family, you know, you're going to fill this role in my life. You're going to fill that role in my life. You know, I guess that comes naturally to me. Chosen family comes way more naturally to me than blood family. Even though I love and get along great with my mom. I love and get along great with my brother, you know, but. I think that that's actually kind of like a, I mean, that's, I don't think that's abnormal. I mean, at least in the circles I run in. <laughs> this idea of like the perfect family is not a real thing. You know, it's kind of like, you know, the American dream or the middle class. It's not real. It doesn't exist. <laughs> and um, you are dropping and, truth bombs. Like <laughs> For real. It's like people, um, people just love the idea. They, they so love the idea that this exists, that we create all of this art and all of this story around it. But um i mean i don't know if i've ever met anybody who had like a quote normal family life like everyone has their version of fucked up in their family and um and i think that like i think that that's kind of that's something that's kind of being communicated in this story in the story of this episode and um, yeah, like with all of the A story, B story, all of it, because no one can find this perfection. No one can, no one can attain it. Um, Will is just someone who realized that really early on. And you talk, Justin and Phil, about your experiences moving around. Well, that's Will's experience too. Like he talks about how he never stayed in one place very long. His father was taking them around everywhere on like fishing boats and shit <laughs> <laughs> and hence also why he thinks of his home as a ship on the ocean yeah it's like he he wasn't in a it's so it's like he was on these ships but he wasn't in situations like you're talking about where it's like oh i can connect to people and survive this way by like quickly connecting to people and making friends he had to go the other way which is like i need to be i need to i need to be functional on my own. And when you bring anybody else into that, it messes up the ecosystem. Um, and just to cap this off, I want to echo what everybody says about the way Will Graham uses and says words. <laughs> they are amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> Can I address something that we that I feel like we haven't been addressing, or at least I certainly didn't address? And that was the question of, do we feel, do we hold out hope that he will find healthy relationships? And something that I'm very much aware of is how Hannibal, when he interacts with Will, he accepts Will at face value. He is like, Will, this is who you are and I'm cool with it. I am your friend. You know, I am not going to ask you to be anything other than you are. I'm going to ask you some deep penetrating questions, but he presents this very non-judgmental, you know, sort of healthy friendship you know at least that that's how it comes off and i can see how 
you know, Will is more naturally opening up to Hannibal, you know, as time goes on. And I think that that makes me think that there is hope. All he needs is to be accepted. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Very Hannibal is deep and also penetrating. Penetrating. Oh, boy. <laughs> I can't even look at you right now, Kelly Sue. <laughs> I can't even <laughs> you look said you. it, Justin. <laughs> Kelly Sue and I just naturally went to the place one goes. But you said it. Ooh, I said accepting. You said, it. <laughs> you, said pen, you said deep and penetrating questions. questions Come on, don't yes. deny it. Phil can play back the tape. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we have a producer. It's amazing. Uh, well, with that, I am going to hand it off to Philip because it is time for our, uh, our regular segment, um, Exquisite Corbs. Well, there is, as we've seen, an art to murder, especially in the world of Hannibal. In our exquisite corpse segment, we hope to do some amateur sleuthing to break down the murder scenes and offer some deeper insights into the murders based on the myriad of production elements presented. In Oof, we are treated to two nasty bits of business. The first crime scene, AKA Norman Rockwell with a bullet. The second is uh, less of a tableau and more general chaos around a family Christmas. Um, how do these, we've, we've discussed this a little bit, but um, on a production level and compared to other tableaus we've seen in this series, how do these scenes sit with you? How do these scenes sit with you? Um, what can we call from these scenes about the murders pertaining to everything that's going on and also about Will and the other characters? Uh, whoever would like to jump in first. I thought it was, again, we, I think each of these scenes, the way they are filmed um, always gives us the larger picture that they want to see, you know, like the artwork presentation that they want us to see. And in this case, obviously, like we've said, it was, especially the Thanksgiving scene, it is like, literally you could put the Norman Rockwell Thanksgiving painting up next to it. And it, you know, you'd probably find that the table's set the same way. And, mm-hmm. um, but then they, they, they move in as your, you know, Will is going around the room and, and as you're, they're discussing things. The camera, you know, zooms in and focuses on the blood spatter. And it's this, there's always this interesting thing, like almost like they're, they're, the storytellers are letting the blood spatter lead us to the places that they want us to focus on. In this case, it was all of the, the family photos um, over and over and over again. Um, it's just that visual um, is very interesting to me. Um, and I can hear, you know, like you can hear all these other, uh, shows that I, you watch if you're, if you're like me and you watch a lot of crime related shows, you know, I can hear, uh, Johnny Lee Miller's Sherlock, you know, talking about the aspects of the blood spatter in my head. They don't need to do it for me on Hannibal and they don't spend a lot of time with that kind of analytics, um, in the show, but it just, it's very, very interesting. It kind of harkened back to that first episode where we see the, you know, the, when the, um, the mother in the house is killed, uh, when she was trying to enter the, the security code and, um, you see the blood spatter on the, you know, this thing that is supposed to keep her safe. It's, I always think that the storytellers are telling us something very specific about, look, there's blood here. Pay attention to this. And <laughs> you're this probably right. Through I, this story. I mean, and 
I mean, I think that's true of the placement of blood spatter, particularly the way it's done in this show. Because, I mean, you talk about Sherlock and shows like it, or not Sherlock, whatever the one you were talking about with Johnny Lee. Elementary, yes. Elementary. Um, the um, It's not a forensic show. And that, that's not what Hannibal is. It's not it's not going to break it down for you like what this blood spatter technically means to the murder scene it's doing it very artistically very symbolically um and yeah i mean it's kind of summed up with norman rockwell with a bullet because it is obviously saying this like it's telling you this larger story about the veneer of the happy family absolutely uh, Kelly Sue. Um, I don't really have a lot to say about these <laughs> scenes, especially because I very literally did not watch or examine them. Um, I will say though that this was one of those episodes where they kind of smack you in the face at the opening. Like mm -hmm. you don't have a chance to sort of like <laughs> yeah. thing or close your eyes. And that first, that Thanksgiving scene is probably one of the only um, murder scenes in the show that actually is like gag reflexible. You know, a lot of these scenes are very much like, whoa, what? You know, but not a lot of them struck me as like, oh God. Mm. But the food mm -hmm. with the maggots and all yeah. of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That yeah, was the, a little much. The rotting food is very telling thematically, yeah. I think. And that sure. is exactly, I think mm -hmm. that that was really interesting for this particular episode to just be yanked right in and not yeah. a choice, which is yeah. what family feels like. <laughs> <laughs> Thanksgiving dinner that's, is exactly like this scene. <laughs> yeah, that's what family arguments feel like. Suddenly something's brought up at a table and you're like, oh shit, yeah. I got him. No, what? I didn't um, ask for this. Yeah. Uh, Justin. Honestly, the thing that really struck me about these uh, particular murder scenes and and the attempted murder scene um is that they're all these idealized familial settings you know mm -hmm. thanksgiving dinner or any dinner around you know a nicely appointed table you know unwrapping presents at christmas and then a nice little backyard frolic you know like mm -hmm. the whole thing it's it's all you know a corruption of you know saturday evening post covers you know of, of norman mm -hmm. rockwell yeah. you know yeah. paintings um, and so that really, really stands out for me. And I didn't make the connection just now until Kelly Sue started talking about how gag worthy that opening sequence was when I realized what an utter repudiation of Hannibal it is, mm -hmm. that scene is like, you know, like food shown at its worst, you know, allowed to spoil and, you know, and so it, it's kind of like, you know, these murders are doing the opposite of what Hannibal does. They are debasing these old connections as opposed to making something better out of something mm -hmm. bad. And I don't know, that's, that's really kind of all I got. I, yeah. I, I steal yeah. all my best material from Kelly Sue. <laughs> <laughs> yes, do we all? I, I, I did find it interesting that uh, the one murder that we do actually see is Will Graham holding the gun and shooting the mom in the head. And then we're literally asked when we come back from break. So Will, how do you feel about your mom? And there's this 
really <laughs> visual interest, not only visual, like, like connection there, I think, um, however far you want to read into that, but just mm. the fact that Will is the one facing the mom and he's the one pulling the trigger and how much of an effect that must have on his psyche. Mm. Um, that That is the most vulnerable and, and the, 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 the shots, the way the shots are set up, it really puts him, the kid, you know, as the head of the family sitting at the front, everybody looking at them, you know, waiting for the, the prayer to, to start or whatever. And with that painting behind him with that, the, the solitary figure kind of trying to get away is really just a beautiful sort of um, imagery. The other thing that I got out of, you know, the Christmas one, I, I, I didn't find the Christmas murder to be all that compelling, honestly. It was just like general chaos. It was, you know, the music I guess was supposed to be interesting. Um, but comparing supposed to be, supposed to be. And, you know, <laughs> it was a little it was a little too heavy handed for my taste, maybe just a little too like this is dark humor. And I'm like, eh, is it uh, the, the first table scene with the family? And then the, there's a third dinner scene that we get. And that's with Hannibal, Abigail and um, uh, Alana. Alana. Alana at the end where she looks at them after asking, what do you see? And she says family. And it just that that third dinner scene, I think, ties together the first dinner scene really nicely thematically uh, as far as what the episode is about and the arc of some of these stories going on, because it's and, a yeah, and, and very foretelling completely high in order to see the family like you have to be drugged yeah. up. Yeah, mm -hmm. to see like this perfect family, which in no way is perfect. And I love her calling Hannibal rude, rude. That is rude. <laughs> I just love her throwing that at Hannibal. Um, but uh, yeah, does anybody else have any thoughts about the murder scenes? Or Then that ends this week's Exquisite Corpse. Uh, I'll throw it back over to Claire. Excellent. Well, like we do with all of our episodes, we would like to... You know, we always have thoughts about things that we're, you know, inspired by from these episodes, um, other things that we love. Um, and so I'm going to turn it over to Kelly Sue to give us a recommendation about something else, anything else, whatever it was um, that she has, you know, she, she loves. Yeah. Um, so this is a tough one for me to make a recommendation from, because as we all know, um, I don't like stuff that fucks with kids. Or that is like, we're going to take something sweet and precious like family and turn it into something gross. Like, you know, I don't know. I can't even think of the name of that Ethan Hawke movie that did that. But um, the one film that I do love, actually, that involves children and is a gorgeous horror film is called Goodnight Mommy. It's Austrian. Um, it's, yeah, Phil is like, yeah. Um, it's <laughs> yeah. gorgeous. And it really turns this, the, it, it kind of, it turns this idea of kids being the victims on its head in a way. Um, and it's just, it's beautifully shot. It's beautifully written. And um, while the ending is absolutely bananas, <laughs> the lead up to that moment is some of the best horror storytelling. I think that, I mean, it's that's that's as good as it gets um so yeah watching What's this it, it was it's called good night mommy it doesn't sound creepy at all and it is austrian <laughs> from the country of austria, austria. <laughs> um it's really lovely i remember 
sitting in the theater and watching it and being like viscerally moved by the visuals and by the performances. Mm -hmm. They're wonderful. So highly recommend that and nothing else involving kids. <laughs> Excellent. I really thought you were going to give us a recommendation to watch like, you know, Mr. Rogers or, or something. Right? Completely. Yeah. I was like well, counter programming. And when you said like something I love actually, I was like, is she about to recommend love actually? That's exactly where I went. I that's exactly actually. where I went. So I, mean, I love fun. actually. I mean, talk about counter programming. You know, I, I was like, Hugh Grant dancing around. <laughs> recommends something's gotta give starring jack nicholson and diane keaton now, i almost recommended dr sleep but i couldn't even watch that whole movie no so oh my god that would not I'm be sorry. a good recommendation no. uh, i did really like dr sleep though i think it is yeah i like the end yeah. which i skipped yeah, anyway. to after the first 20 minutes <laughs> yes all right then. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. I am delighted as always by this discussion with my fellow co-host. It was lovely and gruesome at the same time. Um, please listen to our other podcasts, both with Fanbase Weekly and under Popsicle on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can help us by subscribing, sharing, and leaving a positive comment on our episodes, or go to our website, popsiclepod.com, that's P-O-P-S-K-L-P-O-D, and signing up for our newsletter. Also, follow us at popsiclepod on all social media platforms. Again, that's P-O-P-S-K-L-P-O-D. Until next time, happy hunting. This has been a Popsicle podcast production. The mushroom growing, uh, that's vegan. Nope. They're <laughs> using a human to do it. <laughs> Sorry, Phil. Yeah, 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 yeah. It can't be vegan. Those are not <laughs> vegan mushrooms. Those are not vegan mushrooms. <laughs> I, did, I did have soy riso for breakfast this morning, too. I love soy riso. Why? Why not? <laughs> interesting about about that and just about that conversation in general is that it would actually be just as beneficial for the planet and for animals literally if every person ate vegan twice a week mm. like you don't have to go completely vegan you don't have mm -hmm. to cut meat because for a lot of people it actually isn't good for you mm -hmm. but if you committed to like two to three days out of the week to eat only vegan plant-based you know what? I'm going to do um, it, Kelly Sue. I like I'm going to do it. Well, I was, nice. because I've had this in my mind where I'm like, mm -hmm. is this like, am I morally obligated to do this? I feel like I kind of, <laughs> but I, um, I can't be strictly vegan because of mm -hmm. my array of health problems. Sure. Um, but as I was doing research about it, there were all of these like um, ecologists and mm -hmm. all types of ologists. Right that said actually like if the average person even just went meatless one day a week, it would make a wow. huge difference.